If you have your Bibles today, we are starting the first of the covenant series, the Adamic Covenant. I appreciate Pastor Phil's introduction last week, helping us to understand the Hesed love of God, the nature of a covenant, a, cho- a relationship that we choose to have together with binding promises for each other. Um, we're going to be learning about these covenants and how it helps us to understand why we were created, why God put us on the planet, what it means to be human, and particularly what it means to be a Christian, and how Christ is redeeming back what was lost in the garden. In Genesis chapter 1, God has just told how the world was created. He spoke it into existence. And on the sixth day, when everything had been created, he then reserved the greatest for the last. And it says in Genesis 1 verse 26, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and to all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. In chapter 2, verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Father, this covenant is so fought by the evil one because he doesn't want us to understand the nature of the relationship you created us to have with you. Nor does he want us to understand our purpose on the earth to increase and fill it and subdue it and bring it under the righteous rule of Yahweh himself. So God, today I pray that you will open our eyes. Help me, God. I'm a learner too. But I want to know these things that I can live more for the praise of your glory and the purpose for which I was created. And we'll thank you, God, for all that you show us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Yahweh is a relational God. He lives in an eternal relational triunity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We call the Trinity, one God in three persons. We shouldn't be surprised then that such a relational God, who is the Hesed, steadfast love of God itself, would create creatures in his image capable of entering into a relational covenant with him. So God made Adam out of the dust of the ground, and then he made Eve out of Adam, fashioned a universe and a tiny ball called earth in which he put a beautiful garden called Eden in which he would place these image bearers that he loved. And God entered into a covenant with them, a relationship in which he and Adam would make binding promises to one another. 
God would bless them, provide for them, protect them and fulfill them. Adam and Eve were to demonstrate their covenant loyalty through worship and service and obedience. And the sign of this covenant would be a tree in the middle of the garden called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now in our workbook, I was asked to tell you that in the glossary, it says that the tree of life was the symbol of this covenant. That was a mistake. It is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that became the symbol of this covenant. God said, eat of any tree in the garden except this one. The day you eat of this, you will surely die. The relationship we now have will be broken. God is a relational God, and he offered us through Adam the joy of unbroken relationship with him. He is the creator who loves us. But Adam and Eve broke the covenant, and the curse ensued. This is why so many people today are lost, slaves to sin, broken, living in fear and death, and why they make horrendous decisions like they did this week in New York. The more we understand the Adamic covenant, the more we will understand what was lost in the garden and how God is working through Christ and the gospel to restore the relationship with him and to redeem all that was lost. Because we're reminded in this covenant that God's covenant with Adam reveals his love and the purpose for which we were created. What is that purpose? That we were created to worship in a relationship with God. We were created to worship in service for God. And we were created to worship in obedience to God. The Adamic covenant reveals that we were created to worship in relationship with God. God said in verse, chapter one, verse 26, God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. I came across a story a while ago out of London about what happened at the London Zoo. They set up an exhibit, and on the outside of the exhibit, it simply said, warning, humans in their natural environment. The exhibit featured eight homo sapiens in a sealed enclosure adjacent to another sealed enclosure of various primates. The human captives were chosen from an online contest and spent their time sunning on a rock ledge, playing board games, waving to the spectators. A signboard informed visitors about the species, diet, habitat, worldwide distribution, and threats to the species. The goal of the exhibit, according to zoo spokesperson Polly Wills, was to downplay the uniqueness of human beings as a species. Seeing people in a different environment among other animals, she said, teaches members of the public that the human is just another primate. Tom Mahoney, one of the participants in the exhibit, agreed. A lot of people think that humans are above other animals, he said. When they see humans as animals here, it kind of reminds them that we're not that special. You'd be amazed how many people believe that. You'd be amazed how many Christians believe that. What a contrast to the biblical promise that human beings are fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God. You see, God declared from the beginning man's uniqueness. 
He said in verse 26, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Historically, there are four explanations as to what it means by us and our in that verse. Let us make man in our image. But there's only one that really fits the narrative of the creation story. God is a relational God who lives eternally in a relational triunity of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The us and the our is the language of that relational triunity. That God, this one God and three persons, were all active in creating a relational creature in their own image. Mankind was created to live in relationship with a relational God. Mankind is unique in all of creation. Man was created to live in relationship with God. It wasn't because God was lonely. God was not needy. God lived in perfect relationship with himself. But in hesed love, in the steadfast love of God, he chose to share the wonder of that love with creatures who were created in his image to enjoy and respond in that relationship with him. Not that we would ever be as God. We are not God. But we would bear his image. See, all the other plants and the animals were created according to their kind, according to their kind, according to their kind. God said, let us make man after our kind, in our image, in our likeness. So we have all the capacity for relationship. We have a mind, we have a will, we have emotion, and we have capacity for relationship. No other creature made, not even angels, can have a relationship with God like we can. I was reading a, a piece by... Uh, Catholic theologian George Weigel, who said, we are not congealed stardust, an accidental byproduct of cosmic chemistry. We are not just something. We are someone. And we were created not just to have a relationship with God, but we were created with a capacity to have relationship with each other. In Genesis 1:27, God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Do you remember where God said it was not good for Adam to be alone? So he created a man and a woman. Not just so Adam could have kids. That was part of it, to fulfill the mandate to fill the earth and subdue it. God lives in a relational triunity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Adam could not live out that relational unity on earth by himself. There was no other creature like him. So she, he made a suitable helper for Adam. So now on earth, there could be a visible picture of the triune relationship that exists in heaven. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Now on earth would be man, a woman, and God. It would be a picture for the world to see and to live out this, tri, this, this uh, triunal unity. The plurality of God lived out in the plurality of our relationships. This is why the marriage covenant can only be between a man and a woman. 
God said there's only one suitable helper for him, and that's the woman he created. Genesis 20, excuse me, Genesis 2, verse 20. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of man, and he brought her to the man. And the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. This is why the marriage covenant is sacred and why it is not to be broken except for reasons that were specific violations given in the scriptures for the separation of a covenant marriage. You can read more about this in the workbook this week. It goes into a little more detail about a covenant marriage and why it's important. I like what Mary Cassian, the distinguished professor of women's studies at Southern Baptist Seminary in Kentucky once wrote. God created manhood, womanhood, marriage, and sex because he wanted us to have symbols and images and language powerful enough to convey the idea of who he is and what a relationship with him is all about. Without manhood and womanhood, marriage and sex, we'd have a tough time understanding concepts like desire and love, commitment, fidelity, infidelity, loyalty, jealousy, unity, intimacy, marriage, oneness, covenant, and family. We'd have no context to describe these things. We would have a tough time understanding God and the gospel. The visible symbols display and testify of what is unseen. And that is why the symbols are so very important. Given the powerful symbolism of marriage and gender and sex and family, is it any wonder that Satan tries to destroy this image? Is it any wonder that these things are at the heart of so much brokenness and dysfunction and pain? People, who is behind the destructive deception of homosexuality? Satan is behind that. Who is behind the tragedy of transgenderism? Satan is behind that. Who is behind adultery, premarital sex, unbiblical forms of divorce, and everything else that destroys a biblical marriage? Satan is behind that. Satan is seeking to destroy the very covenant image that God established to be a living example on earth of the relational covenant that God made with Adam in the garden. The relational covenant is also seen not just in a marriage, but in the way we love each other as fellow human beings. But especially how we love our fellow Christians in the church who are the body of Christ. The new covenant community. Do you remember what Jesus said at the Last Supper in John 13? A new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So when people see the hesed love, the steadfast love of God lived out in us as his church, then the world will know that God is among us and that we belong to him. For only God has that kind of love manifest in his people. This is why John said in 1 John 4, verse 7, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. 
This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Verse 17, this is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or a sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. God is a relational God. And he created us to live in relationship with him. A relationship that is modeled in marriage, the church, and with our love for one another as we go out to fulfill the Adamic commission, to fill the earth with his image bearers and make his glory cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. And not only are we to worship in relationship with God, but the Adamic covenant reveals that we were created to worship in service for God. Chapter one, verse 28. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. We were created to serve God and to subdue it for Christ. Subdue the world for Christ. Mark Buchanan wrote a book a while ago called Your Church is Too Safe. In that book, he was sharing about a Rust, Russian pastor named Father John Sergeyev. And this is what he said in the book. John was a priest in Kronstadt, Russia, in the mid to late 19th century. That was a time and a place of dirty marketplaces. Imperial Russia was decadent, rotting beneath its own weight. And the streets were dangerous, rife with poverty and depravity. Crime ran amok. Alcoholism was rampant. Prostitutes crowded the corner thieves the alley there was no safe place sound familiar so most people who weren't part of that world didn't venture out into it most of the clergy used to used to a life of privilege and status used that what waning powers they had to insulate themselves from the widespread peril and hardship but not so father john his daily practice was to don his robe and descend into the meanest part of the city He'd walk among the addicts and the predators, the whores and the thieves, the orphans and the widows, and he did it with healing in his wings. He would find the most broken and dissolute man or woman he could track down, lying in a gutter or standing on a street corner. He would cup their chin in his large hand and lift their face so they would look directly into his eyes. This he would say to them, meaning this way of life, this means of survival, this condition I found you in, this is beneath your dignity. You were created to house the glory of the living God. 
Can you imagine a more powerful message to give to people who feel they have no worth? Father John in his lifetime was called the pastor of all Russia. And everywhere he went, revival came with him. Because people began to discover what they were made for. And they discovered it because this man lived to serve God and to make him known for his glory. Adam and Eve were created for the same purpose. You and I were created for the same purpose. That's why God said in verse 28, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. God blessed them and commissioned them to worship him through their service for him. And by the way, these are not commands. These are not commands. This is an offer that God is making to his image bearers. To be part of the blessing of God to live out a relationship with him and have the joy of creating other image bearers who would then go out and spread his glory and see his fame spread across the earth. The blessing of meaningful worship through works of service. So God said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Bring forth more of the same, more image bearers who bear my likeness and increase their numbers so there will be more people living in the joy of relationship with me and making my glory known to all nations. Fill the earth and subdue it. Fill the earth with my image bearers who will subdue it, conquer it, subjugate it, bring it under my righteous rule. You see, the problem today is not that there are too many people in the world. The problem is that there are too many people made in the image of God who are not living to serve him and make his glory known. So, God said, I want you to rule over it, over all creation. Animals are not people. A whale is not equal to a human being. The earth is not our mother. Man does not exist to serve the earth. Earth exists to serve man. We are to care for the earth as God's creation because he loves it. But we don't live to serve it. Earth is not more important than people. We were made to rule all creatures. We do not rule independent of God, but we rule in the presence of God and to fulfill his purposes for mankind. That we would be stewards of this earth and that we would do the good works that we were created to do. God gave that to Adam and he forfeited it. Now in Christ, God has saved us to return to the work of spreading his glory and his fame to all people by serving God. We were created for this. You remember what Paul told the Ephesians in Ephesians 2 verse 8? For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. It's always been our purpose. 
We are called to fill the earth, subdue it, and rule it for the glory of God and for the advancement of his gospel and his glory. And not only worship in relationship with God and service for God, but the Adamic covenant reveals that we were created to worship in obedience to God. In Genesis chapter two, it says in verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. We are given covenant boundaries, and boundaries are there for a reason. You may remember a few years ago, July 24, 2013, there was a story that happened in, in Spain where a train carrying 218 people in eight carriages derailed in northwestern Spain, killing 79 people and hospitalizing another 66. Shortly after the wreck, the driver, Francisco Jose Garzon Emo, told officials, I can't explain it. I still don't understand how I didn't see. I just don't know. He said the journey was going fine until the train hit a curve. And at that point, Garzon said he cried out, oh my God, the curve, the curve, the curve, I won't make it. Despite Garzon's initial confusion and surprise, investigators found a simple explanation for the crash. Video footage revealed that the train was going as fast as 119 miles an hour before it hit the deadly curve. That's more than twice the speed limit for that section of the track. So it wasn't just the speed that caused the accident, it was the combination of the speed and the track. The train was designed to reach speeds over 130 miles an hour. But Garzon, who was a 30-year veteran of Spain's National Rail Company, simply ignored the boundaries in which those high speeds were to be used. When God established his relational covenant with Adam and Eve, he laid out the tracks for the relationship and the boundaries in which all of humanity was to live. But we often ignore God's boundaries to our own peril. Adam and Eve did and the sin they entered into, unleashed an evil, is still affecting all of us today. Those boundaries centered on a tree in the middle of the garden that would become a symbol of God's covenant with creation. It says in Genesis 2.15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God, Yahweh God, commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. You are to work it and take care of it. You see, those same Hebrew words can be translated worship and obey. Man was created by God and placed in the garden to worship God and to obey him by working it and taking care of it. Work was not toil. It was a privilege. It was intended as a joy. It was the extension of our relationship with God. The work that God had called us to do for him was a privilege of worship, of proclaiming God's worth and being engaged with him in creation. Man was not just a worker and a keeper. Man was created as a priest and a son living in hesed love with God. 
a relationship with God experienced through worship and obedience. So God put the boundaries of this blessing in place. Genesis 2, verse 16. The Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. This was a command. Don't, don't breach these boundaries. It's the very same truth God would later share with his covenant people through Moses, as we'll learn more about in the Mosaic Covenant. Deuteronomy 30, verse 15. God said, see, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, and to keep his commands, decrees, and laws. Then you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. You see the Adamic language there? But if your heart turns away and you are not obedient, and if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. This day, I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you. I call all of creation who is there for the covenant with Adam, I'm calling them as a witness that I'm offering to you right now life, just as I offered it there. I'm calling you, I'm calling them as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice, and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life. and He will give you many years in the land he swore to give to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Life and death were set before Adam and Eve. Life and death would be set before the people of Israel. These boundaries were not put in place to rob us of a blessing, but to keep us from losing the blessing we already had. Up to this point, only God knew good and evil. God would later say after the breach, now they like us know good and evil. Only God knew good and evil. God's intent was that man would only know good forever. God alone knows what is good for man and what is not good for man. To enjoy and keep the good, man must worship and obey God. If man disobeys God, then he will know good and evil and will have to decide for himself what is good and what is evil. A man without God is easily deceived. Remember, a covenant is a chosen relationship in which two parties make binding promises to each other. And when the covenant is broken, curses result. God didn't break the covenant. We did. And Adam's sin passed on to each of us. The result is death. We are separated from God and the relationship he offers. This is why Paul told the Ephesians that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. This is why we know not only good, but we also know evil, and we deal with it all the time. Because of Adam's disobedience, the blessing was replaced with a curse. Genesis 3, verse 14. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. 
Here's the promise of, of redemption. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head. You will strike his heel. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It'll produce thorns and thistles for you and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground since from it you were taken for dust you are and to dust you will return. You see, now the serpent, who is one of his great creations, will be cursed above all livestock and wild animals and the human offspring, he said, Jesus was one day gonna crush your head. To the woman, the mandate to fill the earth with God's image bearers will now come with painful labor. The joy of work and service will now be replaced by hardship and toil and everything you get, God said, will be by the sweat of your brow. Every time I'm pulling weeds in my yard, I'm saying, thank you, Adam, thank you, Adam. The mutual submission and love will be replaced with relational strife and seeking dominance. And instead of life eternal with me, God said, now you will die spiritually, physically, eternally, and you will return to the dust from which you were made. And death will ensue. Genesis 3, verse 21, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and Eve and, and clothed them. Something had to die. And the Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever in that state of separation and death. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life an act of grace on God's part, that we would not be eternally separated from him. God is gracious and abounding in hesed love. When you get to Genesis 5, God prepares to offer humanity another chance. He would wipe out everything that breathed except eight people who by faith would enter an ark along with mating pairs of all animals and those that would be clean for an offering upon the end of a flood. And after the flood, God would make a covenant with Noah, offering a return to the covenant provisions offered to Adam. And God would make covenants with Abraham and Moses and David. And covenant after covenant would be broken. But God's love will never fail. His purposes will never be stopped. We struggle with sin because we are sinners. As one writer put it, the reason we sin is because we love it. 
The key to overcoming sin is a greater love. We come to love God more than we love sin. And we realize then that we love because he first loved us. God demonstrates his own love for us in this, Paul said to the Romans. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So God institutes a new covenant in the blood of his son and creates a new people who came to him through Jesus Christ. That's why Peter wrote in 1 Peter 2 verse 9, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. There's our purpose again. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you, as foreigners and exiles, to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. God's greatest joy again would be that through our lives, Christ would be so reflected, so he would so live out of us that when people actually see Jesus, they would say, whoa, I've seen you before in him. I've seen you before in her. I recognize you. I've seen you in them. I love the way Paul summed it up so simply in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 22. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. We're all born in Adam. We're all born sinners separated from God. We're all born living under the curse. In Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. So we are all born in Adam. The real question today is, have you been born in Christ? Are you living in new covenant relationship with God? What was lost in the garden has been restored in Christ and will be complete when Jesus comes again. In the meantime, we are to worship in relationship with God. We are to worship in service for God. And we are to worship in obedience to God. And in so doing, we're helping to restore and help redeem through the gospel what was lost in the garden. This we do by faith, living in love with God and one another as we await the glorious return of Christ when all that was lost in the garden will one day be restored in a garden, in a new heaven and new earth, in the city of God. Revelation 22, verse 1. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Down the middle of the great street of the city, on each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. 
They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God, Yahweh, the Lord God, will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. We will once again then be with God in a beautiful garden. We will no longer be kept from the tree of life. We'll be invited to eat from its fruit forever and ever. We will serve God and see his face. His name will be on us all. And the whole earth will be full of his glory. As Isaiah said, as the water covers the sea. All that was lost in Adam will be restored and redeemed in Jesus Christ. You and I are called today for that high privilege. That's what it means to be a Christian. That's what it means to live for the praise of his glory. God, thank you. You have put an estimable worth upon humanity and we have rebelled against you. But your Hesed love has won the day again, sending your son to do the unimaginable. That he would come to die in our place, taking our sin, that we might be forgiven, that through the gospel, believing by faith, we could be restored to all that was lost in the garden. And given the privilege now to go out and do what Adam was commissioned to do, to fill the earth and increase, to cover the earth with your image bearers who are full of the knowledge of the Lord, to spread your glory and your fame to all nations and subdue the earth until it all lives under your righteous rule. And Lord, we thank you for this privilege and this honor of what it means to be a follower of this Jesus and who have been given this grace in a new covenant in his blood. As we learn of these covenants, God, help us to learn each and every week in our studies in the workbook, in our times in our small groups, and in the messages, in our time in the word. Help us to see who we really are. Help us to see who you really are that we will be better, better Bible readers and we will know God as we were designed to know you and we'll be able to live in the joy of this eternal relationship. Thank you, God, for this reminder. May it be for your glory and our joy, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.